Book the Fourth, Part Two of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Fourth, Part Two. Without knowing it, Somerset was drawing near to a crisis in this soft correspondence which would speedily put his assertions to the test. But the knowledge came upon him soon enough for his peace. His next letter, dated March the ninth, was the shortest of all he had received and beyond the portion devoted to the building works, it contained only the following sentences. I am almost angry with you, George, for being vexed because I am not more effusive. Why should the verbal, I love you, be ever uttered between two beings of opposite sex who have eyes to see signs? During the seven or eight months that we have known each other, you have discovered my regard for you, and what more can you desire? Would a reiterated assertion of passion really do any good? Remember, it is a natural instinct with us women to retain the power of obliging a man to hope, fear, pray, and beseech as long as we think fit, before we confess to a reciprocal affection. I am now going to own to a weakness about which I had intended to keep silent. It will not perhaps add to your respect for me. My uncle, whom in many ways I like, is displeased with me for keeping up this correspondence so regularly. I am quite perverse enough to venture to disregard his feelings. But, considering the relationship and his kindness in other respects, I should prefer not to do so at present. Honestly speaking, I want the courage to resist him in some things. He said to me the other day that he was very much surprised that I did not depend upon his judgment for my future happiness. Whether that meant much or little, I have resolved to communicate with you only by telegrams for the remainder of the time we are here. Please reply by the same means only. There now, don't flush and call me names. It is for the best, and we want no nonsense, you and I. Dear George, I feel more than I say, and if I do not speak more plainly, you will understand what is behind after all I have hinted. I can promise you that you will not like me less upon knowing me better. Hope ever. I would give up a good deal for you. Goodbye. This brought Somerset some cheerfulness and a good deal of gloom. He silently reproached her, who was apparently so independent, for lacking independence in such a vital matter. Perhaps it was mere sex, perhaps it was peculiar to a few, that her independence and courage like Cleopatra's failed her occasionally at the last moment. One curious impression which had often haunted him now returned with redoubled force. He could not see himself as the husband of Paula Power in any likely future. He could not imagine her his wife. People were apt to run into mistakes in their presentiments, but though he could picture her as queening it over him, as avowing her love for him unreservedly, even as compromising herself for him, he could not see her in a state of domesticity with him. Telegrams being commanded, to the telegram he repaired when, after two days, an immediate wish to communicate with her led him to dismiss vague conjecture on the future situation. His first telegram took the following form. I give up the letter writing. I will part with anything to please you but yourself. Your comfort with your relative is the first thing to be considered. Not for the world do I wish you to make divisions within doors. Yours. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday passed and on Saturday a telegram came in reply. 
I can fear, grieve at, and complain of nothing, having your nice promise to consider my comfort always. This was very pretty, but it admitted little. Such short messages were in themselves poor substitutes for letters. But their speed and easy frequency were good qualities which the letters did not possess. A few days later he replied, You do not once say to me, Come. Would such a strange accident as my arrival disturb you much? He replied rather quickly, I am indisposed to answer you too clearly. Keep your heart strong. "'Tis a censorious world. "'The vagueness there shown made Somerset peremptory, "'and he could not help replying somewhat more impetuously than usual. "'Why do you give me so much cause for anxiety? "'Why treat me to so much mystification? "'Say once distinctly that what I have asked is given.' "'He waited for the answer. "'One day, two days, a week. "'But none came. "'It was now the end of March.' and when Somerset walked of an afternoon by the river and pool in the lower part of the grounds, his ear newly greeted by the small voices of frogs and toads and other creatures who had been torpid through the winter, he became doubtful and uneasy that she alone should be silent in the awakening of the air. He waited through a second week, and there was still no reply. It was possible that the urgency of his request had tempted her to punish him, and he continued his walks to, fro, and around, with as close an ear to the undertones of nature, and as attentive an eye to the charms of his own art, as the grand passion would allow. Now came the days of battle between winter and spring. On these excursions, though spring was to the forward during the daylight, winter would reassert itself at night, and not unfrequently at other moments. Tepid airs and nipping breezes met on the confines of sunshine and shade. Trembling raindrops that were still akin to frost crystals dashed themselves from the bushes as he pursued his way from town to castle. The birds were like an orchestra waiting for the signal to strike up, and colour began to enter into the country round. But he gave only a modicum of thought to these proceedings. He rather thought such things as, She can afford to be saucy and to find a source of blitheness in my love considering the power that wealth gives her to pick and choose almost where she will. He was bound to own, however, that one of the charms of her conversation was the complete absence of the note of the heiress from its accents. That other things equal her interests would naturally incline to a person bearing the name of Distancy was evident from her avowed predilections. His original assumption, that she was a personification of the modern spirit, who had been dropped like a seed from the bill of a bird, into a chink of medievalism, required some qualification. Romanticism, which would exist in every human breast as long as human nature itself exists, had asserted itself in her. Veneration for things old, not because of any merit in them, but because of their long continuance, had developed in her, and her modern spirit was taking to itself wings and flying away. Whether his image was flying with the other, was a question which moved him all the more deeply, now that her silence gave him dread of an affirmative answer. For another seven days, he sturdily left in suspension all forecasts of his possibly grim fate in being the employed and not the beloved. The week passed, he telegraphed, there was no reply. He had sudden fears for her personal safety, and resolved to break her command by writing. Tansy Castle, April the 13th. 
Dear Paula, are you ill or in trouble? It is impossible in the very unquiet state you have put me into by your silence that I should abstain from writing. Without affectation, you sorely distress me, and I think you would hardly have done it could you know what a degree of anxiety you cause. Why, Paula, do you not write or send to me? What have I done that you should treat me like this? Do write, if it is only to reproach me. I am compelled to pass the greater part of the day in this castle, which reminds me constantly of you, and yet eternally lacks your presence. I am unfortunate indeed that you have not been able to find half an hour during the last month to tell me at least that you are alive. You have always been ambiguous, it is true, but I thought I saw encouragement in your eyes. Encouragement certainly was in your eyes, and who would not have been deluded by them and have believed them sincere? Yet what tenderness can there be in a heart that can cause me pain so willfully? There may, of course, be some deliberate scheming on the part of your relations to intercept our letters, but I cannot think it. I know that the housekeeper has received a letter from your aunt this very week, in which she incidentally mentions that all are well and in the same place as before. How, then, can I excuse you? Then write, Paula, or at least telegraph, as you proposed. Otherwise I am resolved to take your silence as a signal to treat your fair words as wind, and to write to you no more. End of Book the Fourth, Part Two